Hey, and welcome to the Rod Kirby Show. I'm your host, Rod Kirby. Good to see everyone today. And today, as a matter of fact, we have my good friend, Mr. Clayton Tony Al is on the show today. Hey, Clayton, how you doing, man? How you doing, Rod? Uh, doing fantastic. good. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So excited to have you on. You are a filmmaker and you're a writer, director. And, uh, you know, I recently actually just saw your short film, uh, Suburban Jungle, which was amazing, by the way. I, I know you've gotten a lot of feedback on that. How are you feeling about that project as of late? Uh, I feel good about it. You know, I mean, it, it's it's been some time that it's been out there and I've appreciated the reactions that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been good. Uh, Clayton, what's your filmmaking background and, you know, when did you get bit by the filmmaking bug? I think I was bit by the filmmaking bug when I was a kid, you know, yeah. because even before I knew I wanted to make a career out of it, I used to spend all my time in elementary school writing mm -hmm. stories in my head and, and imagining, uh, you know, what that would look like in a film. But mm -hmm. by the time I actually decided to pursue filmmaking as a career, I was already several years out of college with yeah. a suit and tie job and I had no experience as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So I just, I moved to LA from Northern California and tried to learn as much as I could about filmmaking without anybody to guide me. Yeah. And I actually got started as a commercial director. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I was able to, I was able to get a job at an advertising agency, you know, when I moved mm -hmm. to LA and, and I worked my way up to becoming their creative director. And the opportunities that I had to develop commercials for my clients created opportunities for me to direct mm -hmm. them. Okay. And that experience gave me the technical expertise to eventually direct my own narrative films, you know, which are totally different from any of the work that I've done in commercials. Yeah. But I definitely owe my ability to manage a film production efficiently and economically to my experience in commercials. Right. That's that's great because you're um, I mean, the commercial world, you know, it's basically the same thing as, as the narrative film world. I mean, you, you're working with different crews, you're working with script writing, you're, you're working with, you know, the the technical aspects of filmmaking. It's just on a, you know, corporate commercial level. You know, it's just pretty much different in that respect. But uh, those skills transfer over pretty easily. Right. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, from a production standpoint, you know, you're still you're still making a film, you know, right. whether you're making a commercial or whether you're making a, a short or a feature narrative, you know, you're still making films. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the difference is that when you're doing a commercial, you know, you have to put the clients first. And I right. think that that's a hard thing for a lot of creatives to do. Mm -hmm. But when you are, when you are working this collaboratively with a client on a commercial, just the creative process is just different, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, you know, like what you learn from that experience versus what it is that you're going to do narratively as a filmmaker mm -hmm. is you obviously have a lot more freedom right. when you're making your own narratives. But, um, you know, the thing that you can take away from that experience of commercials is that you also are thinking about the audience a lot more too. Because, you know, I think a lot of indie filmmakers, uh, when they start out, they're just thinking about what, moves them what's personal to them mm -hmm. you know but yeah. uh until you've gone through the process like i have of you know directing commercials and then having them go through focus groups or even before you start you start shooting and you have storyboards tested out by focus groups and all yeah. these different people you know you you learn about all the little things that impact how an audience is going to experience something um 
and video, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that that's a good thing to be able to apply to uh, narrative films is just being conscious of how every creative decision that you make in a video production is going to impact that experience for the audience. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because I, I come from a background of doing corporate videography, which is you know same as commercials. Really, I just had uh, one corporate overlord to, to work with, but though, uh, but it's so it's so interesting when um, as a filmmaker, you know, you, you don't really think about, okay, this project has to be profitable or I want it to reach a certain audience or, you know, there's there's more variables when it comes to commercial work. You have to kind of look at um, the copy that's in the that's in the video or that that's in the text or the, the graphics. And, you know, it's just different. It's very different. And I, I, some creators can do it. Some probably can't do it. But it's if you can do it, you get the opportunity to do commercial or corporate work. Um, it, it will absolutely inform your work as a creative to help you reach bigger and better audiences. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. your um, your short film, Suburban Jungle, um, when did you write the script and where did that idea come from? So I wrote the script uh, about a year before I shot it. So um yeah, I mean, I started maybe around 2017. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe even in 2016, I was already putting the ideas together. Okay. Um, and, and the idea came, to, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll share a little bit about the premise. So, I mean, the film, it's a period piece mm-hmm. that takes place in the late 1990s. And it follows two high school students who are studying for a final exam. And then when some unexpected visitors arrive at the house, it leads to a series of events that culminates into a violent altercation. And so the film, uh, it taps into a subculture that was very Mm -hmm. prevalent during that time period. And it was this subculture within the Asian American community where you had really smart kids from the upper middle class suburbs who were living double lives as violent gang members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these weren't just posers who got into little fistfights here and there. I mean, these were real cold-blooded killers. Yeah. And so... My inspiration for making this film was the desire to explore the subculture that I grew up around. Mm-hmm. And many Asian Americans from the 90s and early 2000s had grown up around because these kinds of stories had never been told cinematically. Yeah. Well, I recently uh, watched, as I said, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, cinematography was great. The dialogue was off the chain. Uh, the action was great. Um, you know, it's really gritty, really dark. I loved it. And I love how on your uh, your website you describe yourself as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and how the corporate commercial world you're you're one thing, but then in narrative films you're totally different, and this is totally different than what what I expected. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, the reason why I the the reason why I, I see myself as sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is because you know like I, I think a lot of the darkness that comes in my narrative films is. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it is that, you know, I, I keep inside for the right time when right. the right project comes along, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for for audiences to have a chance to, to, to see those worlds. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously with commercials, you know, like depending on the brand, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you're not going to get a lot of those opportunities to tell these kinds of stories. That's you know, true. when yeah. it comes to narratives, I think that 
you know, a lot of what I want to put out there is sort of like the darkness that I want to exercise, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that it doesn't live inside me and that it lives on screen, that it's able to be, you know, taken apart, broken apart, analyzed as, mm-hmm. as an art form. Um, and it can be something that we can talk about rather than to be something that has to be a part of us. And, 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 you know, even, even with a film like Suburban Jungle, you know, there still is a message that I want to get across uh, for people to, for people to steer away from these kinds of lifestyles. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, in my, you know, Mr. Hyde skin, you know I mean, I hope that exposing some of the uh, darker aspects of life will shed light in a way to where, you know, uh, people won't want to be guided towards the darkness. Love it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, with filmmaking in general, you, you know, we put every piece of us uh, almost, you know, our, of our souls bare into that script and onto that screen. So absolutely, I totally understand where you're coming from. Let's take a look at the trailer for Suburban Jungle and we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So this is the trailer for Clayton's film, short film, Suburban Jungle. Take a look. Yes, I love how uh, dark and and gritty it is, and it's such a great film. It really is. Uh, really enjoy watching it, and it's right. It's actually it's uh, streaming right now on Plex and Amazon Prime Video. So if you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. I watched it today. It was it was really good, really cool. So uh, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was um, I loved. Um, so I got uh, two things. I loved uh, your. I think you did a a, a, a one shot take. Uh, it was it wasn't too long, but it was a one shot of you kind of come around that chair when the guy got hit <laughs> with the chair, got beat with the chair. I loved that shot, and I loved uh, I, I really loved how uh, realistic the characters sounded. You know, they sounded like these guys are about that life. <laughs> you know, they don't play. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do you, uh, as far as your writing process, uh, how do you kind of come up with the dialogue? How do you write strong dialogue like that? Well. Um as far as how I approach dialogue. So, I mean, when I'm, when I'm writing, I usually will, I mean, by the, at the point where I actually have final draft open mm-hmm. up and I'm writing a screenplay, I'll ha- already have a treatment written mm-hmm. and have a pretty good understanding of the psyche of each character. So when I'm writing dialogue, I always act out every line as mm-hmm. I'm writing. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel right for the character or if it doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth, then it needs to change. And so I workshop every single line for a long, long time before I, it gets to a point where I'm ready to hand it off to the actors. Mm, and and yeah. then, of course, you know, the actors will help inform rewrites as well. Yeah. Um, and then as far as Suburban Jungle is concerned, specifically for this film, I mean, a lot of the lingo came from that life. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It came mm-hmm. from my experience, uh, you know, in that time period, uh, how people talked. Uh, every character in the film is, and, and here's the other thing too. I mean, there's a lot of people who, a lot of people I knew from that time, from mm-hmm. that lifestyle uh, that would talk to me and they'd be like, oh, well, oh, so oh, did you, did you write me in the film? Like, am I in this? Like, like which one of the characters is going to be me? I'm like, no, nobody is anybody. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So I don't want anybody to think like, okay, like this is supposed to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But um, everybody is sort of like, every character in the film is sort of like an archetype of, you know, one of those dudes, you know, yeah. one of those guys who's like the freeloader, who's always trying to, uh, who, 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 who never wants to throw down on, on a, on a dub sack of weed. Uh-huh. You know, or you always know that one you always know that shady character who seems really cool, you know, and, uh, and he's friendly and everything like that, yep. but you just know there's something about him that you just can't trust. I mean, there's always, every character is just somebody that I've met that people who, um, kind of remember that time that everybody's kind of met someone like that. Right. And, and I wanted to, I wanted to have the dialogue just play out um as organically as possible and also you know try to let the actors improvise as well so that they can mm-hmm. so that it could feel as naturalistic as possible uh so that you can really immerse yourselves not only in the characters but also in that time period yeah and i love that uh that tip you you mentioned about uh workshopping your dialogue uh that's pretty cool because I actually you know when i write screenplays um i'm over here you know i'm, I'm in my own world and i'm you know, yelling and I'm talking back to the to the my, my screen, my computer screen, and trying to make sure the dialogue sounds right and it's it's authentic. I don't think a lot of people really do that. You know, it's like uh, I've gone to table reads where um, the dialogue will sound stiff or kind of every character will sound the same. But I think you know, Tony, what uh, Mr. Clayton, what you said as far as you know, uh, workshopping the, that dialogue and actually saying it out loud and reading it on page and making sure it's actually right for your actors and then giving it to them. That's pretty powerful tip, man. That's good. Yeah. And and I also don't want to underestimate the importance of the actors and their contribution to it, because a lot of the dialogue changed uh, Mm -hmm. once I cast my actors. And so I think that the script would have ended up being pretty different had I cast certain people over others. You know, mm-hmm. because other people because some actors are going to deliver lines differently from how i deliver them that's um, true but yeah. you know like i would start out with a basis for what the character needs to sound like so that i know what i'm looking for when i'm casting but once mm-hmm. i once i have that person um then the table reads are going to give you an idea of of what kind of cadence mm-hmm. that actor is going to be comfortable with yeah um some a lot of times the actor can can give you a lot of suggestions for rewrites that are going to be incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of times when you just get a chance to sit and, and do a read with the actors, you already start to learn how to speak like them. Yeah, You, you kind of have their voice in your head. And then when you're back in front of your computer and you're rewriting, you can start thinking like them and, and allowing for their voices to be reflected on the page. Mm-hmm. And with your your actors, uh, what was your approach to to actually directing them? Because you got some really strong performances out of these guys. I mean, like I said, they they sounded and looked like they're about that life. Okay, so yeah. and I, and I know you. I mean, clearly you you spent some money to get you know really t- 
top tier good actors on your project, but how did you approach you know directing them um, for this this film? Well, something that's always extremely important for me on any project, whether it's a narrative film or a commercial, mm-hmm. is that I nail down the performances before the shoot because once you're on set, you know your time is very limited. Right. And I really try not to coach actors in their performances while we're shooting. I try yeah. to make sure that they are uh, completely comfortable in their role beforehand. So mm-hmm. a lot of my coaching as a director takes place um, during table reads, mm-hmm. uh, blocking rehearsals, even at their auditions. You know, I, I mm-hmm. even at my auditions, actually, I, I don't know how many directors do this, but for me, uh, I always give uh, everyone who auditions at least two takes. The first is going mm-hmm. to be uh, with no direction whatsoever. They right. take all of the information that they have uh, from the casting call, and I just want to see what they bring to the table. Uh, but then afterwards, uh, I will direct the performance, and I'll, I'll get a, a second take. Mm-hmm. And so that, so I have that opportunity to work with them. And then when I review that footage from the audition, then I can allow that to inform my direction with the table reads. And so with all that time spent, um, specifically for Suburban Jungle, I think once I had gotten the actors comfortable in their roles, then a, a big part of really guiding the performances for, for this project was getting them together. It was yeah. really important for me that um, they had a chance to, to work with each other, that they got to read with each other. They got a chance to play off of each other's cadence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this film, there's a lot of talking over each other. You know, there's yeah. a lot of um, people, um, you know, shouting over each other's voices. All of that is, is actually right off the page. It's, it's actually mm-hmm. not as improvised as it looks. Okay. Um, and so coordinating all of that really has to do with um, just kind of highlighting the uh, the emotional arc in mm-hmm. every scene, and um, and I, and I think that and, and these guys, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, they they weren't they they weren't from that life, you know. A lot of these guys were pretty young, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. So they they had to learn the lingo uh, and study it and do their own research. Uh, but then once they once they got into the, um, the the cadence and the manner by which they need to speak, then um, it became more just about finding those uh, those those touch points within the emotional arc of the scene, mm-hmm. and so uh, at that point, like it's it's about timing, um, making sure that they are giving as much as they're getting. They're setting up each line for the other actor to to, to react, mm-hmm. and you know all those things. I mean, I, I I'm sure there's even more little tidbits of, of the experience of coaching them that I'm not even remembering, but all of those things really just come into play before we actually shoot. Right. That's good. Um, you know, I, one thing that I absolutely hate is when I write a piece of dialogue and it's, it's supposed to be uh, uh, two people kind of shouting over each other or someone <laughs> shouts over someone else. And I, I hate when the actors are like, um, they'll say their piece, this person says their piece and, you know, kind of back to back instead of over each other like hey i want y'all to you know cut each other cut each other off you know jump in there and just get to it you know i think that takes a lot of practice and getting them them really comfortable with the roles and comfortable with the characters and understanding that hey this character he's not going to let this person talk and then just you know walk away they're going to kind of go back and forth on this so 
it's good that you rehearse <laughs> with your actors, you know, beforehand. And then uh, I really like the the tip of uh, kind of doing the two takes for rehearsal and and for the casting. That's really good stuff right there, man. Good stuff. Yeah, and you know, just to speak on that, like I think that when you don't, and not every scene should have people talking over each other, right? <laughs> but I think that what you're talking about, as far as like what you don't like when they're when when the actors are politely waiting for the other to deliver yeah. the line, yeah. is it just sounds stilted, yeah. you know? And and the reality of when people talk is people talk talk over each other all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of that coordination, uh, it, it has to do with. It takes a lot of memorizing on the actor's part because yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of actors they're not going to be comfortable doing that, interrupting each other because I mean they're, sometimes they're they're being considerate to you and to the editor uh, in terms of giving you a, a clean place to cut, right? Right. But right. then the other part of it has to do with like they want to um, they want to allow for mistakes so that so that the edits can 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 clean up those mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when you're doing a scene where everyone's talking over each other, you you really got to commit to that take in order to use it because you're hearing the other guy's line over the other. And so um, there's just a lot of memorizing that they have to do to remember how they're going to respond when these other words come in, because if the timing is off, then they're going to be reacting to the wrong thing. Um, And so it it, it takes time. You know what I mean? It takes time for the actors to to, to prepare for a scene like that. But the the payoff can be really great uh, if – you know, if, if if the scene's written the right way mm-hmm. and the actors get it. Have you seen uh, Adam Sandler's movie, that Uncut Gems? Uncut Gems, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, they talked <laughs> over each yeah, other. Over each other all the time. All the yeah. time. It was like, oh my God, it was, it was almost unbearable, but it was so good because that's yeah. exactly how we talk in the real world. It was, it was great. Yeah, and, and I love the way... Um, I love the way that, you know, that film as well as uh, uh, Good Time, you know, by the same filmmakers, yeah. you know, like the, it, like those those are two films that do a great job of, of building, you know, excellent mm-hmm. tension. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, 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 and that's that's a, a very special way that you can amp up tension is, is by, you know, uh, having these characters kind of uh, elevate elevate the aggression in the conversation each time mm-hmm. that they raise their voice and raise their voice and raise their voice. So yeah, that's a, a an excellent example. Oh yeah. Uh, so what was the production like on uh, Suburban Jungle? How long did you guys shoot? And um, were there any challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were a lot of challenges for me specifically in that I had to wear a lot of hats you know, mm-hmm. yep. this was a micro budget project. You know, I, I think the biggest challenge was me doing everything that I was doing outside of directing you know, because yeah. I didn't have a line producer or mm. an art director or a caterer. Uh, so I had to do all kinds of things like build furniture or oh, yeah. food, yeah. take care of getting all the release forms signed. You know, all mm-hmm. those all those things that really add up um, are things that directors shouldn't be doing. You know, and a lot of indie directors do end up doing everything, mm-hmm. but it can break their concentration, you know, and, and every project that I've had since then, I've always tr- hired the right people to fulfill the right roles, but for right. Suburban Jungle, you know, I just had to give up on a lot of sleep in order to get everything done. <laughs> yeah. But it turned out pretty awesome. So even wearing all those hats, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, man, to, to get the result that you're looking for. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so you said it was a micro budget film. What was the budget for your, your short film? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
yes, it was it was a six thousand dollar production budget. You know, very tiny, tiny micro budget, um, and that doesn't include post production. Right. I edited the film myself, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I did pay my colorist, my composer, and my sound designers. But they did a huge favor for me, giving me the rates that they did. Yeah, and I don't want to disclose publicly how big of a discount they gave me because they deserve to be paid so much more. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, same thing with my short film, The Prayer. I mean, I did editing. I did. I actually did the coloring myself, which is why it looks terrible. <laughs> but uh, you know, it came out fine. And I, I hired a composer and I hired a uh, re-recording uh, audio mixer, and which was the best investment I could have ever made on on post production. You know. Um, but everything else was, you know, out of my pocket, and and we did crowdfunding to to raise our our budget. Our budget was like four thousand uh, for our twenty minute short, and um, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to just take what you got and maximize every penny, and put it on screen in some form and fashion. Uh, how did you raise the the funds for your your budget? Almost everything came out of my own pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do a crowdfunding campaign, but. Um, some friends did provide some contributing funds to the budget as well oh, because nice. they um, they believed in the project. They knew about it. They, mm-hmm. I'd been talking about wanting to do a film like this for some time, right. and they wanted to see it get made. So I'm extremely grateful for uh, the contributions that I did receive. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, you know, I, I needed to be prepared to finance this thing yeah. um, before I went into production because, uh, you know, like I I knew that this was a, a unique story. Mm-hmm. That um, that you know, I, I that only I was going to be able to tell the way that I wanted to tell it, and um, you know, like I was I was prepared to make the sacrifices to make it happen. Yeah, uh, this is is this your uh, second film that you've done? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done some experimental stuff before. Okay, but you know, like in my previous work before Suburban Jungle, um, you know, I I, I consider like exercises, exercises in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that because that project was uh, Disillusion <coughs> and it features, it's you know, shot in one location. It features two characters uh, kind of talking, um, but the, the tension ratchets up with the dialogue. You know, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, how did that film prepare you for Suburban Jungle? Yeah, so, yeah, there are a lot of similarities that can be drawn to Disillusion. Um, now, I, as far as shooting in one location, that's a budgetary restriction right. that, that, that creates a cer- that circumstance. But mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, now that I think about it, like, yeah, I, I see even more so now reflecting on everything, how much writing and shooting disillusion informs suburban jungle. Right. Uh, because a big thing for me is building tension and mm-hmm. creating an immersive experience for audiences and, yeah. Um, and drawing people in through dialogue. And so what's disillusion, I definitely I definitely did that without really thinking about it. I think mm-hmm. I think my natural writing style uh, just just came out of that project and then uh, it evolved with suburban jungle. Mm-hmm. But you know with, with disillusion, that was that was something that was kind of me exercising my demons. you know, I'd recently gone through a breakup around that time. Mm-hmm. That first started writing it, and it was just kind of, and it was, it was my acting debut. I, it was, I, yeah. I directed and starred in the film myself. Mm. Uh, it was tough wearing both hats at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, like with that with that project, you know, uh, 
when when something is that personal, mm-hmm. then the dialogue flows pretty naturally, you know. Yeah. And um, and when you want to take the story in in a specific direction, then you know sometimes you need to create sort of like an elevated version of yourself. So right. That is not the things that are said in that film aren't a reflection of me or any real character, mm-hmm. but where that story needed to go and needed to hit these extreme circumstances. So, uh, going back to when you talked about the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde comparison, that really was Mr. Hyde coming out <laughs> in that film. Yeah, you know, it's not a reflection of me or any of my views, but um, that was an opportunity to kind of let the Hyde, the, the Hyde come out and. Um, and that sort of guided how it is that I approached how to sort of ratchet up tension in Spring mm-hmm. Jungle. Awesome. Well, well, let's take a look at uh, this little teaser trailer that you have for Disillusion, and we'll come back. So here is your trailer for Disillusion. So how do you feel? I feel hopeless. You should feel hopeless. Because you are. What? You don't like what I'm saying? No, I don't so like you what you're saying. So you ask my opinion, no, but I'm not just asking say, for your opinion. You I'm asking for your help. I am helping you. This is what I get when I come to you for help. You you tell me that I'm hopeless, and then you start to paint this picture that I don't want to see. Just because you don't want to see it doesn't mean it's not there. Layden, my man, I love that. <laughs> I you caught me by surprise. I did not know that. Um, <laughs> I gotcha. That you're. I, I didn't know that you're going to bring up suburban jungle, let alone uh, bring out the trailer. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's kind of a blast from the from the past. How's it um, make you feel seeing that? It's it's um it's interesting. I mean, I, I haven't I haven't watched it in a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, it brings back memories. But I think that. While, while we've been talking about Suburban Jungle, I'm seeing a lot of that evolution. Yeah. And I think that the thing I I want to share reflecting on Disillusion is that, you know, that was a project where I feel like I made a lot of mistakes as a director because mm. I I was I was acting as well as directing. I was focused so much on my performance yeah. that I felt like I, I just made a lot of decisions I wouldn't have made if, if I had focused on how I was going to execute and tell the story cinematically. So I would have done a lot of things differently. Right. Um, But the thing that I want to say, you know, bringing that up now is that, you know, the mistakes that we make as filmmakers, you know, uh, mold us and, and, and and make us who we are, you know, Mm, like we, you can, you can only learn so much when you're reading a book or when you're watching, you know, BTS footage from a Mm -hmm. Blu-ray deep, you know, of, of, of a movie that you like, you know, you can only learn so much from um, from the outside looking in, but it's only when you are, are are in the thick of it when you're shooting something and and you make mistakes that you're able to grow. And so, even though you know, there's there's moments when I I, I think about disillusion, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I want to I want to <laughs> hide. Yeah, you know, I'm still I'm still glad that I I had a chance to make the mistakes that I made so that I could have learned from them. There you go. That's that's really powerful, man. I mean, I've got I, we all have projects like that. You know, the first ones are always the rough ones. I, my first film, short film was uh, it was called Sodom. And in it, I've got my mom 
sniffing cocaine off a Bible. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> He's sniffing cocaine off a Bible. My dad is in there and he, he beats her up in the movie. And I've got my brother and my sister. Uh, my sister is, is trying to entice my brother uh, for, for relations. Uh, it's, it's Sodom. You know, it's very, you know, not a good world to be in. And that's what it was. But Man, sounds so, like a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Die Hard on steroids. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's it's crazy because I, I think about it and I look I watched it uh, recently. And I was like, man, this is so terrible on so many different levels. But it's a really interesting story. And I, I like what I did right there. That's a cool choice right there. You know, so, yeah, you know, you uh, those mistakes were made so that you could be better on your future projects. And so that you can explore, you know, creatively, you know, what you're capable of and what more you might have to, to share with someone. So yeah, don't, don't, uh, for everyone watching, you know, don't discard those first, those first films, you know, that stuff is gold right there. Real Absolutely. gold. <laughs> uh, Clayton, what advice would you give, you know, other filmmakers, uh, aspiring filmmakers that want to produce their f- first short film or make their first mistake, uh, in a short film, or even, you know, people that are you know, writing that first screenplay, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, well, first thing I would say about short films is I think when it comes to short films, filmmakers should see them as an investment in themselves. Right. You know, so tell the stories that only you can tell so mm-hmm. that the industry can see why they need you. you know, yep. And don't invest your money or, or waste other people's money in making a short film that you only think is going to test well with audiences, but it's about a subject that you don't care about. You know, right. Because if you do that, you're never going to find your own voice. You know, Make the That's films true. that you not only want to make, but the films that you need to make. So when it comes to screenwriting, um, the advice that I'll give is be prepared to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Yes. And you can't be lazy when it comes to writing because you're always going to, to find better ways to refine it. And it, it's a part of the process. Your mm-hmm. best writing is going to come from the rewrites uh, and, and the other thing too, is that it's never going to start until you just get started. That's you know? true. So if you feel that writer's block, that's, you know, go ahead and put out all the crap that's in your head for mm-hmm. the first draft. It doesn't matter because the first draft is, is going to be almost like nothing like what the final draft is going to be, mm-hmm. but you have to get started. And so, uh, you know, what I've learned about writing is that, you know, you have to, you have to give yourself the time to look at it again with fresh eyes. Right. You know, once you, once you do a draft, take mm-hmm. some time off, don't reread it for a couple of weeks or, or even a month or several months. Uh, try, try not to even remember the story so that you can read it again with fresh eyes, like an audience member right. and yep. analyze it objectively and realize, okay, like, I mean, I'm going into this as an audience and I don't know, about this backstory with this character. I don't know about that conversation. So how was I supposed to understand the scene? You mm-hmm. know, like you have to be able to, to look at your script objectively to, uh, to be able to experience what the audience is going to experience. And, and also don't be afraid to have it tested out with your peers. And, and, and I, this is actually some pretty good advice that I heard from Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. just from, from one of his interviews, he's talking about, um, about, you know, testing out scripts with people is like, is right. about how important it is to test it out with the right people. 
you know, That's don't true. just test out your scripts with anybody, test out the people that you trust, mm-hmm. people who believe in you, believe in your writing and understand what you want to do. You know, because sometimes if you just, if you just put it in front of people who you don't even, whose opinions you don't respect, yep. you're, they're going to be giving you the wrong advice, you know, That's so true. find the right people to test out your script with and, um, you know, try not to get too emotional when you hear their advice, because, you know, not every advice is going to be good, but sometimes it can be great. That's true. And I love what you said about, you know, taking the time to let your uh, really just let the story breathe before you get back into it. So a lot of people, you know, they'll just write something and they say, OK, well, this is ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go shoot it. And they just go do it. And it could have been so much better or they have missed opportunities or they could have expanded it in so many different ways. So, yeah, you got to let that stuff breathe, kind of like fine wine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Clayton, I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today on the Rod Kirby Show. Thank you so much, man. This has really been uh, really good stuff, really powerful um, you know, advice that you're giving. And everyone, if you haven't seen it, go to Amazon uh, Prime or Plex to check out his short film, Suburban Jungle. And is uh, is Disillusion available anywhere or... Uh, or you kind of hiding that for a rainy day. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah I, I, I hit it for a little while. I mean, I, I will, I will think about whether or not I will make it uh, publicly available again. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like an early recipe. You know what I mean? Like if you've already, if you've already started, um, you know, if you already started cooking steak, you don't want to start giving people ground beef. You know what I <laughs> right. mean? But um, no, that that sounds arrogant. Like I, the, the truth is, it's just it, it's something that was very personal to me. Um, but I, but you know, like I enjoy talking about it, and and you know, I'll consider possibly putting it out there. Um, and but one other thing I wanted to to mention about Suburban Jungle is uh, if you, if you want an easier way to find the links to the film, uh, just follow me on on Instagram at Clayton Tony Al. Uh, in my profile link, you can find direct links to both uh, the film on Amazon Prime as well as Plex. Awesome. And of course, uh, with this episode on YouTube, we'll have the links in the description below. So uh, thank you for checking us out on the Rod Kirby Show today. Don't forget you can connect with me, Rod Kirby, at rodkirby.com for uh, more filmmaking inspiration and interviews and other cool stuff you can find over there. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the show. Thanks for hanging out and we'll see y'all next time. Peace out.